Hello and welcome to Pioneering People. I'm Morvan McIntyre and this is a podcast series where we will talk to some of the most innovative entrepreneurs, people who have paved their own way and become pioneers in their industry. This week, my guest is Scottish entrepreneur Karen Berry, who founded Dan Centre. Well, I think that's the naivety of youth. I think when you're younger, you don't really have a, an understanding of, well, I had no understanding of what I was getting into. And actually, now if I look back, I think I can't believe the decisions I made and how easily I made them at, at that age. Karen has had a 33-year career in dance as a performer, researcher, choreographer and teacher. After having a passion for dancing as a child, in 1987, Karen set up what is now known as Dance Centre in Aberdeen and it is one of the longest-standing partnerships in the UK. She has worked for the Royal Academy of Dance, developing courses for students and teachers alike. Karen was also an external assessor for the SQA Higher Dance and was a member of the qualification design team responsible for the new SQA qualification, the National Progression Award in Dance. Karen now divides her time between Aberdeen and London, working as a teacher training manager at the Royal Ballet School. Today I'll be talking to Karen about why she believes creativity is key to a long-standing business and why she thinks our teachers are instrumental in shaping us. All of that still to come. But first, this episode is brought to you in association with JPI Media Local. If you run a local business or startup and want to get your message out to potential customers, JPI Media Local can help. Through their network of online and print news brands across the UK, JPI Media Local have helped thousands of businesses put their ads in front of the right people in the right place with the right message. To start making lasting connections with local customers, visit jpimedialocal.co.uk or call 0207-0849-134 and speak to a local marketing expert today. Now on with the show. So I'm proud to say that we've got Karen here. Hi Marvin, good to speak to you. You too. So I'll just get on with the first question. You grew up in Aberdeen, uh, who got you into dancing? Well, it was a family thing really. A lot of my family danced and I actually went to dance classes really young and hated it and decided to stop, much to my mum's disgust. And then it was when another dance teacher opened nearer my home that again, you know, my parents said, oh, why don't you try it? So grudgingly, I went along and loved it. So again, it just went to show to me that it's a person that's teaching that has a huge influence on, on children. And she had a huge influence on me. And then from then on, that was it, really. I was hooked. And you've touched on this a bit already, but what did you like about it? And were there any famous dancers at the time that you admired? Well, I think I love the physicality of it or the athleticism. Different people have different perspectives on dance. Some people feel they feel more of a connection to the emotional side. I certainly do feel that. But for me personally, it was more from athletic point of view. I used to do a lot of running. And so I really enjoyed that side of it and a chance to express yourself as well. So at that time, some famous dancers, Marco Fontaine and Nureyev, although there wasn't social media of today and it wasn't easy accessible to see dance performances, there was enough about to have an idea and a vision of what you were learning and where it could go to. And as your dancing progressed, did you consider being a professional dancer yourself? Yes, I did. However, at that time, when I was a teenager, I, I was quite interested in academic things as well. And it was always a bit of a, a juggle between should I go to university, should I dance? And actually the decision was made for me because I actually had an illness when I was younger that made me think, hmm, I think I'll go more into academia just now. So it was something I considered, but 
I wasn't too upset that I didn't do it because it was always still part of my life, even though I was studying at university. And you've talked about being interested in that academic side. So you then studied chemistry and psychology at the University of Aberdeen. Why did you decide to study those subjects? Well, again, I think it was was obvious to me then that A, I really enjoyed it and I was really interested in it. But in hindsight and looking back, again, it's to do with the teacher. So I had an amazing chemistry teacher and perhaps if I had an amazing maths teacher or English, I would have studied that at university. So I think, again, you know, now what I'm doing in terms of teaching, I've really experienced that myself from a really young age, how the teacher has such a huge impact on you. And then psychology was something I found at university. You didn't get to do it in schools in my day. And that was all about, obviously, human behaviour. And I was really interested in that. And so I studied both of them together. But at the same time studying, still continuing with dancing. And after university, you completed a residency at Dundee Rep Dance Company. How was that experience? Yeah, that was great. I mean, at that time when I'd left university, I wasn't completely sure what I was going to do. So I had actually started doing some classes, teaching some classes, although a little bit informally, and still dabbling with the idea that I might actually perform. So I tried, I was lucky enough through Scottish Arts Council, I think at that time, to get a placement at Dundee Rep. And I did, I really enjoyed it, but it actually made me realise it wasn't for me. So although it was a positive experience, aspects of the job, I actually thought, no, this doesn't suit me. And that really made me then realise, okay, I'm going to go into something else. And of course, that was teaching. And to go into something else you did, because in 1987, you um, founded what was known as Karen Berry School of Dance. What gave you the courage to decide to do that at such a young age and, and take that risk? Well, I think that's the naivety of youth. I think when you're younger, you don't really have a an understanding of, well, I had no understanding what I was getting into. And actually, now, if I look back, I think I can't believe the decisions I made and how easily I made them at, at that age. So I think actually youth is good because, you know, naivety is quite a good thing. So I never actually thought of it as a brave decision at the time. It just seemed the natural thing to do. And, uh, you know, again, learning from experience is so valuable. And basically that's what I've done over the past 33 years. I've learned on the job. And that then became a partnership in 2009 and is now known as Dance Centre. Explain a bit about Dance Centre and who your customers are. Mm-hmm. So, well, Canberra School of Dance remained like that until it was early 2002 when we actually changed it to Dance Centre. So it ran as Dance Centre. We acquired a building and that was a permanent base for us to run our classes rather than just hiring halls. And that allowed us to really grow the business in different directions. So to the point where around 2008 and having a young family, it got quite a lot to handle on my own. Although I hired lots of different teachers and different specialists, it would be it was the right decision to actually think, "Mm, maybe I need to share some of the management responsibilities. So in 2009, one of my ex-students who had been away and trained and danced and also taught, came back and became a partner. So she was invited to become a partner. And from then on, Dance Centre became a partnership. And so would your customers mainly be children or do you teach adults as well? Who's kind of your customer base? Well, our main customer base is children. However, it's the parents of the children or guardians of the children that decide or make that decision to take them. And we provide a range of dance genres, so ballet, contemporary ballet, modern, tap, and also 
we offer what we call higher dance or national five dance. So that's now dipping into academic qualifications as well as professional qualifications and pre-professional qualifications. So things like the Royal Academy of Dance or ISTD, which is the Imperial Society of Dance. And although we offer, you know, probably 90%, 95% is children and students, we do have some customers who are adults and who come for also recreational purposes as well. So we generally have our children classes start around three up to about 18, 19. And then we have some kind of young adult classes where we for students who still stay in Aberdeen and continue on to university and continue recreationally. And then also so for adults who just want to come for a bit of fun. Before you set up the business, did you have any business training prior to that? Did you have any take any classes or do anything that would kind of give you the tools to do so? I had absolutely no business training at all, apart from having studied economics at school, which gave me an idea of finance and basic kind of financial management. And at that time, I think it was Scottish Enterprise or perhaps the council were actually offering basic courses for people who were setting up businesses. So I did a couple of them, but I had no training. But however, as the business grew and as the demands grew and challenges came, when I realised I needed help, then I went to get help from relevant people, various financial advisors, accountants and good friends. So I think I've been very lucky in the advice I've had. And also I've managed to kind of research and navigate my way through that too. A lot of it is common sense. And I think that is so important is that you, if you know your business really well or your trade really well, then how you run it, it is relevant to your trade. So for example, what works well for a builder's company wouldn't work well for me in terms of how they run their, their business. So it's knowing your customers and hence psychology came into, um, was a great advantage for me having an understanding of human behavior, I think. And there are probably bumps along the way when setting up your own business. So what challenges did you encounter in the initial stages and you know, the challenges scaling up the business? So, I mean, initially the challenges would be to get enough customers. That was really hard because you were a new business and there were established businesses out there. So it was finding ways that you could attract new people and then keep them. And something I found was regardless of how much advertising you did, word of mouth was the best type of advertising. And uh, we've really kept to that to this day. So that was the challenges at the beginning. And then we quite quickly actually got quite a good customer base. So the next challenge was managing the actual amount of customers in terms of the resources we had. So resources in terms of staff, infrastructure, space. And so that's actually still a challenge today. We still don't have enough space. We're still trying to get quality staff. So I'm not sure we've solved those problems, but we're perhaps better at addressing them. So you studied classical ballet teaching at the Royal Academy of Dance while also studying a degree accredited by Durham University. Why did your interest lie with ballet in particular? Well, again, I think from the start, I actually didn't start ballet till I was, I think, nearly 11. I had done all other dance genres. So it was quite new to me and still new to me when I was a new teacher. And I think actually... I just had a great affinity with it. It was just me. So I'm not quite sure. It's just something that's in you. I think you just know as a dancer which style you are more suited to and also enjoy. It wasn't a difficult decision. I just wanted to study it more. And although I studied 
the qualifications, your, teach, your first teaching qualifications with the Royal Academy of Dance. At that time, there was no academic study of dance. In my year, you, era, you couldn't really go to university and study dance. However, the, the late 1990s, that started to change and the Academy had a new qualification they were trying out that was accredited by Durham. And we were the guinea pigs, so to speak. We were the first year that had actually taken this on. We had this opportunity to try it. So it was a bit of a convert degree to go from a diploma to a degree. We only had to do two years. And it was just a great opportunity. They were, you know, they were offering that. And at that time, I just was ready for a chance to actually have some kind of more formal qualification in dance that was at a degree level. Like psychology and chemistry, I thought you could study dance in more depth. So for me, this was great. I just thought this was a wonderful opportunity. And it in itself opened up other opportunities to me. So for example, within that, we got the opportunity to write a dissertation. And from my studies and research in that dissertation, I was then offered employment really through the Royal Academy of Dance and subsequent places as well. So yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time. So you mentioned there the Royal Academy of Dance. And you've done extensive work there as a teaching supervisor, a course developer, a lead tutor, and you've contributed so much. So what do you think drives you and why do you think you enjoy working in dance so much? Well, yes, I think with the Royal Academy of Dance, as you mentioned in particular first, that, as I said, came out of some of the or the opportunity to work and develop their curriculum came out of the work that I had done in, the, in my research. And I think... It's just the opportunity to learn. That's why I enjoy dance so much, or dance teaching and, and learning, because you're always learning. It's, it's an area of science or pedagogy, specifically dance, that's not been developed in the past. So it was ripe for more research and more development. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. So I'm really lucky. It's almost like having a pioneer role uh, rather than, you know, picking up, yes, from people who have had some great research in the past, but it's really making new paths, making new assumptions and making new connections. So I really enjoy that. And that's kind of continued into the work I'm doing today. And you talked earlier about there not really being until the late 1990s formal qualifications of dance and you kind of being one of the guinea pigs and mm. doing that. So you then later on, you in 2008, you were hired as an external assessor for SQA Higher Dance. And you were also a member of the qualification designs team responsible for the qualification national progression award in dance. So do you think your experience as a dance teacher has influenced how you design these exams mm. and do you take that into it? Absolutely. And I think that's it. It's we're always reflective practitioners. So you learn from experience, you know, you learn from actually teaching. And I think you can't actually design courses unless you actually have an understanding of who you're actually designing them for. So having that inherent understanding of how to children learn and in the context of dance then puts you in the best position to design courses that are suitable for them. So again, dance was quite a relatively new subject for SQA at the time I had come into it. It had been running for, for quite a while, but, you know, short in terms of other subjects. And again, it was just an opportunity to take what I had been learning and add it to the skill set of the SQA. 
you've not only worked as a dance teacher, you've also been turned your hand at choreography and you've worked in areas of musical theatre and for Aberdeen City Arts Department, for youth festivals and all sorts. So how is the progression from teaching to then choreography or in dance? Is that quite a natural thing to do? Yes and no. I think it seems as if it's a natural thing to do, but sometimes it's not. It's almost like you, if you're learning a language, you've also then got to have the opportunity to speak it. So there's no point just learning all the technique of it and, you know, the grammar and the vocab. You've then actually got to converse in it. So that's what choreography and performing are. So you can learn the specifics of the art form, but unless you actually are, have an opportunity to perform it or choreograph, you're not actually fully engaging in that art form. So I think choreography for me was a chance to be more creative and not just creative with the, the students that I taught, but with different organisations different groups again a wide area a wide context of different people within the art form which was great and I think that really adds then to your teaching it's a bit cyclical so what you learn from that you then take back to the training of the students and vice versa and you now divide your time between Aberdeen and London and for almost 10 years you've worked as a teaching trainer manager at the Royal Ballet School in London And how is it to work for such a prestigious dance school? And do you feel any pressure with the role? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So for the past nearly six years, I've been the teacher training manager there and I had taught previously there as well on a peripatetic level. So yes, at first, I think it was a real pressure. It was almost, I couldn't quite believe I was allowed to do the job, to be honest. And I think they were at a stage where they had a new director and they wanted to develop their teacher training department in terms of the courses that they offered on site for ex-professional dancers and other teachers coming in from perhaps an educational background to learn the skills. And when I got there, I realised that I was kind of left alone to develop this role and what could come out of it. And that actually was really scary. And then I realised the responsibility that lied on my sho- lay on my shoulders. So I just kind of took it easy, took time to actually see what was needed and I really realised that it, this was a, such a great opportunity to influence the way dance is taught, and, and particularly ballet, not just within the dance school, Royal Ballet School, but also out with, because we offer courses out with to recreational dance teachers, not just in the UK, but worldwide. So that's actually been an interesting journey. And now I, it just it comes. I don't think about it too much. But when I do stop and think about it, I realise, wow, that's such a huge responsibility. So with all your work in choreography and dance, you must have a creative mind. But with Dance Centre being a really long-standing partnership now, you've also clearly got a business head as well. So what's the secret to having such a sustainable business that can withstand 33 years? Well, that's an interesting question. And I think, you know, when you, you talked about creativity, I think actually that's the key. I think successful businesses have people who who lead them who have vision with creativity I think the important thing is to have the ability to think outside the box be creative and be adaptable so rather than just thinking oh this one formula works is thinking well what else works how could we use this what else can we do so diversifying your business making sure that you are open to new challenges making sure of course, that the quality of what you're providing, whether it's a service or a product, is of the highest standard. And I think that's something that we've always done. We've always put the quality of what we do over 
anything. So even to the point where at times it wouldn't actually be commercially viable. We would rather have our classes really small and make sure that students are taught extremely well, knowing fine well that obviously that's not sustainable. So then you have other areas that you can perhaps operate where you can generate more income. So I think it's in a short answer is being able to be creative, that creativity that I've learned from dance, I've taken into the business world and think, yeah, that's actually probably my our biggest asset at Dance Centre is the ability to be creative. And what advice would you give to anyone, you know, setting up a business maybe in the dance area or any area? What things do you think that you didn't know back then, but you know now? Okay, so I think in the dance, specifically in dance business, it's a bit different now than when I started. Would be first get really you know, valid and robust teaching qualifications in dance. So you would need to make sure that you have opportunities to learn about the legalities of the business, as any business, but specifically when you're working with children. And also not not to be frightened to take chances and go with your gut feeling because everyone's different. So just because one formula works for one person, it doesn't mean to say it works for someone else. And I think that's something I've done from the beginning is I've always followed my own path. And that way you have a unique selling point rather than just try and copy someone else's. Yeah, you can follow and copy someone's ethos, but what's specific to you and what drives you, you have to be true to. And you mentioned earlier talking about having that popularity through word of mouth. So do you think that's then key for if you're authentic in your business and you are doing something in which you're individual in your approach? Do you think that's what kind of helps to gain that support from customers and get people to come back? Definitely. And I think, you know, we have that at Dance Centre. We've got such a loyal customer base who actually, in a way, they actually get educated in dance teaching and how to dance, so to speak. What we always say is we're making educated audiences of the future, not just in our students, but also in our parents. So the, the, the parents who spread you know, the word of mouth, basically, they really do understand what our core ethos is. And as in any business, without that support from your customers, then you know, you're, not going, you're not going to survive. So yes, you know, that's, it, it's absolutely essential to have a really good, loyal customer base and word of mouth, of course, nowadays through social media and other, other forms are re- is really important. We've talked a lot about the business itself with dancing, but a core part of dancing that you mentioned earlier was the physicality of it and really, you know, putting everything into it. And there's a lot of information about the lack of exercise in the UK, a population and in fact, physical inactivity is responsible for one in six deaths in the UK. So it's a, clearly a huge problem. So As a dance teacher, how important do you think movement is? Yeah, well, I think, I'd hope all dance teachers would agree that it's just, you know, so, so important. It's essential. And basically, you know, we live in a world where children and adults actually move less or have less opportunity for movement, especially children, than they did perhaps in my era or even before, because children get driven to school or parents perhaps feel it's not so safe to let them out. So perhaps they're less mobile than they would have been in past eras. So therefore, it's really important that parents try and find activities for children that involve physical activity. And dance is, although for me, it's the athleticism, it also connects with the emotive side and emotional intelligence as well. And social, it's great for getting children to mix with other people, other children from different cultures, different backgrounds, 
boys as well as girls we have you know many many boys who come that stigma of boys dancing is definitely breaking down so it's all about opportunities and removing the barriers for opportunities for children to participate so if that is funding then you know we should try and support it with scholarships and so should, so should the government. If it's distance, then we should try and work out that we have facilities and activities in every community that offers children the chance to partake in physical activity and specifically dance. And do you think you yourself as a young person, do you think you found ways to kind of relieve stress through movement and through dance? Was that something that you found useful to kind of have? Yes, I think there's lots of research in the effects of movement or dance on mental health. And it's found to be one of the best forms, I don't want to say cures, but one of the best ways to tackle it. So I think I've been very lucky in that I actually like a bit of stress. I've actually found dancing not stressful, but when I'm choreographing and when I'm in a situation, sometimes when I'm performing, that in itself was quite stressful. So it depends for me in what context I was dancing. But I think for the general public and for young people, definitely, it could be a real stress reliever. So you've been a part of shaping the landscape of both British and Scottish dance with your choreography work, your teaching, your researching, etc. So what challenges and opportunities do you foresee in the future for this industry? Well, I think as always, it's funding. So for our business dance centre, that's privately funded. We, we're a, a business, so we rely on customers. But for other organisations such as Royal Ballet School, they do rely on donor money and also money from the government to operate. So the challenges are the same in terms of, you know, we need to be able to operate, we need funding. So for funding, we need customers, but we also need the, you know, help from the various organisations and governments to actually value what we are doing. And I think that is always a challenge. We live in a world where things like academic subjects are so valued, people can often forget the value that the arts give to society. So the challenge is to make sure that arts are always high on the priority and that people don't forget the value that they can bring to society. And how do you find that work-life balance then? You've you're working in London, you're working in Aberdeen, you're working probably across Scotland as well. So how do you find that downtime and that time to kind of switch off if you do? And you were saying earlier that you you kind of thrive a bit on stress. So do you think as well enjoying what you do has helped with that? Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely paramount. I don't actually think, and this is probably also a weakness, I don't actually think of my work as work because I enjoy it, I enjoy the learning, I enjoy the, the teaching. So that's probably my own issues is that I have to try and differentiate between work and pleasure because when it starts becoming one of the same thing, then it becomes difficult. So then you only realise when you do have some time off how tired you actually were. So, you know, or how then you realise, actually, I do actually need a break. So downtime for me, when um, I do get it, is really just zero exercise. You know, where most people downtime probably should be exercised to keep healthy. For me, it's actually to stay still, sit on the sofa and watch TV. And we've talked a lot about your career so far to date. So what would you like to be doing 10 years from now? Well, 10 years from now, not much different from what I'm doing now, perhaps with more opportunities personally for myself to be more flexible. Obviously, I I work between Scotland and England and I really enjoy that. And here I'm working with young people and students in London and working more with adults. 
However, you know, the research that I do cross both. So I think I'd like to continue developing the research that we're currently doing and continuing to develop teacher education and student education. So I can't actually imagine myself retiring as such, but perhaps adapting my workload to perhaps ensuring that I can have more free time a little bit to do what I want when I want. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Karen. I think we've learned a lot about being resilient and working across a lot of different things using creativity. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good to hear that creativity can be paramount in creating a business. Mm, Absolutely. So thank you for your takeaways on that. That's You're welcome. Thank you. Next week, our guest is entrepreneur Peter Proud. Um, But I mean, I didn't see it as a risk. I think the thing in life is you regret the things you don't do rather than the things you do do. So, you know, what was the worst that could happen? You know, kind of set something up. It doesn't quite work. Uh, We're still employable. Uh, You just go and get another job or you start something else. I mean, I've always believed that, you know, what's for you won't go by you. So if you're going to, if you've got an idea or you want to do something, just do it. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to visit jpimedialocal.co.uk or call 0207-0849134 to speak to a local marketing expert about how your business can make lasting connections with thousands of potential customers. You can download Pioneering People wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. If you like what you heard, please rate and review Pioneering People and help other listeners discover us too. This is a laudable production, You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media, on Twitter where we are at Laudable Pods and Instagram by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts.